Welcome to Activate, a podcast for mobile marketers brought to you by Remerge. Take a short break from your screen and listen to what's working in mobile marketing and what's not, straight from the people who are doing it now. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hey everyone, you are tuned in to yet another episode of the Activate podcast brought to you by Remerge. I, as always, am your host, Tommy. And I, as always, have a fantastic guest on the line with me today. I was just telling this guest that I'm especially thrilled to have her on. I saw her speak at an event. It was some growth summit, you know, app growth summit, mobile growth summit, something growth summit or something promotion summit, one of those things. But I saw her speak and I was really blown away. I thought she was both eloquent and insightful, which are really the two key things I look for when I'm watching a presentation. So I'm incredibly excited to have this guest on the line with me today. And without further ado, today's guest is Shayna Summers, who is the head of community at HER. Shayna, how are you? Thank you for joining. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me. Anytime. How's life? Oh, you know, California's on fire, so we're just chilling. I got a fan. I'm really happy about it. So that's where we're at. (laughs) No AC? Do you not have AC in California usually? Typically, California does not have AC, which was a big plot twist for me coming from the East Coast, having AC everywhere. And then I lived in Arizona before I moved up here. So I was like, first place that I toured and I was like, okay, and then like AC heating and they were just like, oh, you're not from here. And after my like third tour that I asked that and they said the same thing, I stopped asking that question. That is bananas. My AC is on right now. And it is October in Boston. I just I run it right until it gets to like, freezing point uh, temperature wise. So that's crazy to me. But you're originally from the East Coast? Yeah, I'm originally from uh, Northern Virginia. Oh, interesting. Yeah. When you say California, are you in San Francisco now? Yeah, Oakland. Awesome. And what brought you out there? Uh, The job. I ended up before I moved up here, I was, as I mentioned, I was in Arizona. I've lived multiple places from graduating college up until now. And my previous career was as a music therapist. And so I was in Arizona working at a school that was specific for children and adults with different levels of special needs, but mainly around autism and any sort of like physical disability. And I was there and also working part-time at her and doing social media and things like that. And I ended up doing kind of like a small project for her, which I did not realize was a test. It was a test to see if I could work there full time. And I got a surprise job offer within less than a year of me living there. So I made the move up to the Bay and joined the team. That's amazing. I want to backtrack because I love music and uh, you're a music therapist. Do you play an instrument or was it just something that you had studied in college? Both. Yes, both. So I got my bachelor's degree in music therapy and then My major instrument was percussion, but we also had to take piano, guitar, and voice. And I also have a ukulele sitting over here and all that. So yeah, basically, as long as I don't have to blow into the instrument, I'm good. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah, for anyone listening out there, if you want to pick up an instrument, the ukulele is a great starter. Just a wonderful instrument where you could just crank out songs real quick. But that's awesome. Okay, so you were music therapist doing projects for her culminated in you joining her full time. Tell us about what you're working on today. And also for those who aren't familiar with her, tell us a little bit about what kind of you guys do, what your mission is. Yeah, I'll start with the latter first. So her is the largest LGBTQ plus dating and community app. And so we are made specifically for 
queer women, trans, and non-binary folks. So basically, any cisgendered men who try to join the app are not allowed. It's a safe space. You all have plenty of spaces. So we create this space just for you to come on and build your community, find love, and just be unapologetically you. And so with that, and the main bit of what I do is the Her community, which is one half of the app. So on the one side, it's like a typical dating app. You're swiping left and right on profiles. Hopefully you find the one and live happily ever after. And then on the other side, it's similar to a Facebook group or a Reddit thread. And you can join based off of identity or interests and go into these different community spaces and chat to other people globally. And so you can post images, gifts, text, whichever you want. And also in that space, we host events as well. Currently, as everybody is, we're hosting a ton of virtual events. And so you can connect to all of these spaces in the community side. So I oversee everything that happens there from our moderator team to our guidelines, the content, the stories that are told, which communities we actively have or don't have. As well, I do the social media, email marketing, I just moved off of customer support. So I'm very happy about this. We just hired an amazing person. So no more customer support for me. And I also am one of the co-hosts for our podcast, Bad Queers. Ooh, what's the podcast about? Yeah. So Bad Queers is basically for those who came out of the closet and got put in a box of stereotypes that you don't belong to. We go on and highlight the joy of being under this like queer umbrella and just basically saying F it to any stereotypes that we put you into. Because a lot of times you come out and you think like, ah, I'm free. But then it's like, ah, now my identity has all of these stereotypes around it. So we basically work around those stereotypes and give people that space to be like, hey, it's okay to just be you. And we kind of joke around it. We talk about current events because queer news isn't featured in the media. We give advice because for some reason people take our advice. We share definitions to phrases because a lot of people feel like you need to know this whole LGBTQ alphabet. And it's a lot. So we highlight different phrases and then we share our own bad queer opinions and highlight the LGBTQ plus community and spaces that you should be aware of. That's awesome. How long have you been doing the podcast for then? Oh, not long. We just launched it at like the end of April. So it's been a great quarantine project that we've been doing. But we've gotten a decent amount of followers and people are great and we've gotten great stories already. We've had amazing guests on from George Johnson to Amara Jones, things like that. So it's just a incredible opportunity, really. Now it makes sense why you have a microphone. Because I was saying at the beginning of the call, it's not normal that someone I interview has a mic on their side. And there you are. You got the same break as me right on. We are prepared. (laughs) Amazing. Well, congrats on all that. It sounds like you guys are doing tremendous work. And when I hear you talk about this, the work you're doing at Her and even beyond, obviously, but specifically, let's just focus on Her. You guys strike me as having a significant difference from other social and dating apps that I've seen before. I feel okay calling you a dating app because I believe in like the title of your app, it's her lesbian and LGBTQ dating app is the actual name of it when I look at it in the store. But it's much more than that, it sounds like. What's striking to me in this is I've actually seen ads because obviously I work in the app space and it's my job to see who's running ads and what those ads look like and collect that information. And one of the ads I saw most recently was for a a dating social app in which it said the app that was designed to be deleted. I know exactly which one that is. (laughs) I mean, they're serving ads. It's Hinge, so it's fine. That's their strategy. I get it. But this always struck me as kind of like the catch-22 of running a service like yours is that some could argue by being successful 
users should delete your app. There is an argument to be made there, but it sounds like you guys want to do much more, which is that community piece. So talk to me about why that's so important and how it helps you guys develop and maintain your brand. Yeah. In comparison to other apps that are able to cater towards cis and straight people, they have a much larger audience. They have a lot more spaces they can go to. There's nothing that they have to stop themselves from being in terms of their identity. There's no point that you're afraid of holding your hand. There's no club that you're not afraid to go to. There's no anything like that. Like you're going to have like an endless amount of people who will continuously come on because there's a lot more people in the world who identify as straight. But we're starting to get into this world where there are a lot more people that are starting to identify as not straight and fall under this whole LGBTQ plus umbrella and aren't seeing the stereotypical everyday relationships, even if that does expand to like polyamory and open relationships and things like that. So while Hinge has the ability to go and say, you don't need to stay on here because you're coming on for a purpose, you're finding your person, you're getting off. Great. You still have a whole community in the world that you can go and engage with and do that. For LGBTQ plus women, trans and non-binary folks, even just for like queer women type spaces, there are only 16 bars in the US that are catered towards queer women, like period. And that's 16? 16. And that's if they all survive COVID right now. You think about that, think about in comparison to where like you could go to a bar and just like chill where it's if I wanted to go to a space that was safe, I for real have to look for it or travel to it or do anything like that. So with our community, because there are so many limited queer spaces, like there's a lot of spaces for gay men, not a lot for queer women. We want people to find that in the app. So that's why we have all of our community spaces. That's why we have our events. That's why we're like, find your person and then come back here and find your crew, find your squad, find your interest, learn some stuff. And that's why we've continued to make sure that it's no, we want this to be your lifestyle app as you come through. Can I ask you something? I don't want to come across as ignorant. I'm just trying to learn here. You said there's a lot of spaces for gay men, for example, but not so many for queer women. Why is that the case? Because gay men have the money. A lot of the times, it's just one of those things where they can still be pulled off as like, you could be a cisgendered white gay man that already puts you into another bracket as like myself as a black queer woman. They're not losing any of that. They're able to go and just get in these spaces and continue to be there where, again, it's similar to like a WNBA or NWSL, like nobody's investing in women's sports, nobody's investing in women's spaces, everybody's going to invest in these male spaces. So they find the money there and are able to provide there where it's a lot harder for our community to be able to find it. Totally makes sense. And I mean, it just really gets down to the, I mean, from my perspective, just a incredible emphasis on the kind of privilege I have. You hit the nail on the head in that I don't use dating. I have a fiance, right? So I'm not using dating apps. But if I did, Hinge makes sense. And I don't need a community because the whole world is kind of my community. Like everything is available to me. Whereas very much so the polar opposite is the case for someone in your position where you do not have the availability of the things you need. So to that end, it sounds like her needs to provide that community, right? And provide that space for its consumers in order to give them more and give them other options of ways to communicate with similar people. Yeah, absolutely. That is our whole goal. I'm learning a lot. Let's talk about then community. You mentioned things like virtual events. You mentioned quite a bit. What does community look like to you as the person in charge and the head of community for her? What are the functions of your role? How do you build a community within an app? Yeah, it takes a lot of steps. The overall goal is that I'm trying to provide a space for people to build valuable relationships with others who have similar interests. 
And so a lot of that comes around the people who are leading the communities. So we have a very specific moderator program and how we work it, who joins it, how we onboard for it, for them to be able to drive that positive and healthy engagement, as well as being able to remove anybody who is trolling, anybody who's phobic, anybody who just like wants to ruin our vibe that we've set. As well, we make sure that we're regularly communicating with the community as a brand to say, hey, here's what we've updated this week. Here's what we're working on. Oh, you haven't heard from us in a while. This is why we've been heads down improving this. Or have you noticed that the chats look different? Why don't you go check it out? And things like that. So it's a lot of communication. It's a lot of planning content. And it's a lot of having the right people leading the space. But you're just trying to find that valuable engagement. That's what people are looking for within our app is to connect. And so how can I build a space that is going to drive that connection? You mentioned communicating changes to the app and the like with your community. How do you go about from your position communicating with those who use her? So within our app space in the community, we have a specific her community that is just there for us from the headquarters to post and update people. So while we have regular content that goes out, we share like we met on her stories, we share dating advice, we'll highlight things that are happening in the news, we'll feature community members. But that's also the space where we can go and directly communicate with the community about what is going on. So we'll do a general post. It doesn't have to be super long. It's just like, hey, this is what's going on. We'll send a push notification out. If we have a bigger update, then we utilize our email marketing. We'll utilize social media. We'll post inside the community. So there's a whole space of depending on the range of what we're putting out. And if it's like, yes, this is a huge feature or hey, this is just a little update. We have tiers of where we can communicate with our community members. Totally makes sense. You've been there, I think about five years, correct? Yeah, yeah, like five, six. Could you speak to the kind of growth your team has seen or or the app has seen, however you want to frame it? Speak to the growth that you've seen and how community has potentially contributed to that growth. Sure. When I first joined the app, we didn't really have a community. We did have a space where it was like one single thread of posting. It was like old school Facebook days where you just had like that one thread that we went to. We used to have that, but nobody watched it. So a lot of our community came through social media and kind of what we were posting and commenting on, but it wasn't driving any connection. So it was like a mirage community. If you was like, it looks like it, but it's not. We did a rebrand in the spring of 2007 to 18. One of those two. We did a rebrand. And in that, that was when we launched the communities. And so that was when we started to actually like drive traffic to this space. And that was when we started to see an increase in our retention and an increase in our engagement within the app. We also started to figure out the metrics that we needed to see if the people who are engaging with the community were engaging in our core actions. And so the core actions that typically keep people around longer was the swiping, liking, and messaging people. So if we got them to the point of messaging, amazing, they're going to stick around a bit longer. And we found out that the community was actually driving those people to do more of those core actions, which kept them around longer. So they were able to engage in this community space. But because more people were seeing them through their posts, through their comments, whatever else, they were getting more engagement, which then allowed them to engage in our core actions. And everybody was happy. Do people ever meet through community chats by posting? You mentioned swiping and liking and messaging people that way and kind of the more traditional, we'll call it dating functionalities. Can you meet someone else through the community and go about hanging out or going on dates and stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. We actually, so we have a 40 and over community and they 
are like squad goals. All of them know each other. They know about their lives. Every time I go in there, I'm just like, how are they doing today? Whose kid is doing what? Like, I love seeing their community. But before all of COVID happened, there was a group of about 15 of them that all came in from different parts of the US. And I think some from Canada, maybe, I don't know. They all flew into Vegas and had a week where they hung out in Vegas and they were posting all week in the community their trip. And so then we took the photo and featured it on our like announcements page to say like, hey, check out all of these amazing community members that like went and met up and did all of this in that space. And then we also have people who like see our events and join there. So some of our events we have regularly, like every Wednesday we have a movie night and that's a whole squad there that goes and hangs out and does the movie night. And two of them ended up dating and they have this super cute relationship now, went and drove cross country. So she didn't have to take a plane to go meet this girl. And they've been together. And then a group of them were in the same area. So now they're all friends and in their like social bubble and all of that. So it's fun to see how people are making it work to go and meet up and stuff. That's amazing. It's especially so important, I imagine, in a world that's in a pandemic. And I'm imagining you've seen more activity in the communities. Correct me if I'm wrong. One of the things I'm curious about, getting back to the idea of like double-edged sword here, I guess you could say, not that it's really a running theme, but when you find that your consumers or your the people using her are more engaged in community, do you find they are less engaged in the traditional dating functionalities of the app, like swiping, for example? It depends on the user. Honestly, if it's a user who's in a relationship, then yeah, most likely they're just there to find friends and chat and do that. Right. Or at least they have good communication in the relationship to be fine with it. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Yeah. But otherwise, yeah, if they're still single, like they're still hopping on and most likely going to swipe first. And then once they're done swiping or if they've run out of swipes, because if you're on our free part of the app, then after a certain amount of time, you'll run out. Then you'll just hop over to the community and continue to chat and meet with people there. So it works both ways. But yeah, I think it depends on the user in that area. Totally makes sense. You've brought up a few times now the idea of events and virtual events. And it sounds like it's a key cog in the wheel for how you go about nurturing community. I'd like to hear a little bit more about how events change. I'm guessing, obviously, they change for you guys with coronavirus. I'd like to hear how you guys went about pivoting through that situation and keeping your community members engaged. It was definitely one of the hardest pivots that we've made. When we first started that first week of March, I think we had like one last event and then planned an entire schedule for the next like two weeks. And so within those two weeks, we hosted 18 events and had over 750 people join. And these events ranged from happy hours to a movie night to bringing on special guests to game nights. So we tried just about every single thing under the sun. And then as we continued and we're like, here's what's working, here's what's not. And we continued growing within that month, we hosted over 60 events. We started to average about eight events a week and we had over 2,100 attendees within that month. So it was, or six weeks. It was crazy. It was a whole, whole thing that we all had to come together as a group and make sure that all of this went out at once, who was hosting. We were doing stuff like every day to get people involved. And yeah, it was a huge driver for engagement within our community. And we actually got to see within the app, like a solid boost with people being happy that the people that they've been talking to in the community space, they could actually visibly see now. And we would open up the 
chat like we did it on zoom for everything so we would open it up and be like hey like talk to each other do this whatever else and we knew that there were side messages happening and all of that it was just it was fun it was fun to see it was stressful but it was fun (laughs) the sheer volume of that sounds extraordinarily stressful we do not suggest doing what we did (laughs) i'm sitting here i'm like how the hell did you do that that is such an insane volume of events so actually let's ask that like what infrastructure or organization do you have in place that enables you to actually go about executing such a high volume of events? So we have a global events manager, thankfully. She is wonderful. But it took it was definitely a team effort when we started. We used Asana mainly as our space to do everything. But we started off just let's put up a Google Excel sheet. Let's plan out this calendar. And it was just like, okay, what are our to-do tasks? Where do we post the event? Because we have the event space inside the app that we can post it. We got it on our social media. We got a separate email marketing that I was in charge of. And so everybody kind of took pieces to say, okay, here's what the event is going to be. Let's get the link. Now let's get a graphic to go with it. Now let's post it and make sure that this event is up for at least this amount of time so that people are aware of it. For some of our events, it was great because once they started to realize that we did that pivot, we didn't even have to put it up for like a week to get good numbers. It was like we could put it up the day before. And at that point, literally nobody was going anywhere. So they were like, yeah, whatever, I'll just hop on. This is great. We had to adjust that as it continued because then people started to get like Zoom fatigue or they started getting invites for everything that was Zoom. So that was when we started to space everything out. But otherwise, yeah, it was a lot of organization, a lot of Asana. Our events team was amazing in how they stepped up and were giving ideas of things that they would want to host. And we were just like, yes, let's do it. Yes, let's do it. Like we said no to like nothing. We went and did that. But please do not ever launch the way that we did. I highly suggest that you don't do that. (laughs) It literally gives me a headache just thinking about how insanely stressful that must have been. Dear gosh, with the events, is it only for those who use your app? No, it was open to everyone. So that was cool to see the reverse where people had come across our events, which is actually similar to what happened when we were hosting in-person events. We would have people that would come and they just saw that it was like a queer women party. And so they came and then they would hear from our hosts and the people who are running the events about the app and then they would join. So it was similar to what we were doing in person, but now it was happening virtually. And people would be like, oh, this is actually an app. And oh, look, like our CEO did a ton of the events. So now they're like on here talking to our CEO and she's telling the history of it and all of that. And then they would just go and be like, oh, okay. And then I can talk to you all after. And we're like, yeah, we host the event in the app and go join this community and talk to all of these people. And it was just a wonderful circle of life that we now created. (laughs) So it's really in some ways a growth vehicle. And at the end of the day, like we've been saying, all of these efforts that you put forward to developing, enhancing, and nurturing a community contribute to growth in a probably very significant way. Yeah. And I'm curious, and you might not have an answer for this, but I'm going to ask anyways, as a community manager, do you find it challenging to quantify how much growth you are responsible for through these efforts? Or is it something that you've figured out and that you use? For community specifically, it is a bit hard just because going from the event into the community, there's not a ton of things that we could try, especially when we started. This was before like Zoom allowed for you to have a clickable link in the chat. So we would say, oh yeah, go download the app. Here's the link. But we couldn't even track those clicks to see if they made it into the app and things like that. We did try to launch a specific events community to see if that would help. But that only worked for 
one of our events and that was like our dance party on the weekend and then people would come in and do that but any of our other events nobody was really catching on to jump in there so we tried multiple creative ways but the only thing that we could really measure was okay post this event within x amount of hours do we see a spike in how many opens we have to the community and that was where we had but that's also because of how much tracking we had built in and things like that because our community is native so we don't have any software that's working on it and things like that so when we pivoted to this we had no time to like build in the tracking that was needed to start with that so most of it was based off of what i was seeing inside of the communities and how much we could go with like the opens and the overall posts and the overall comments and it's like did we see a spike one to two hours after the event or within 24 hours after the event. Given what you just said, it is a huge time investment to make to say, we're going to do however many events, say something like 80 or, or close to 100 events over a six-week period without having all the tracking in place necessarily. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying it's, in some regards, a leap of faith. How did you go about justifying it? Was it all based on qualitative data that you were gathering by being engaged with your consumers? It was actually, the justification was that our community needed it. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't have as much as we continued to say, which events do we continue to do? That was more of, we had the quantitative data of how many people were here, how many people were commenting in the chats, what were they engaging with? And we were able to do it actively in the event. Then it was like, yeah, the qualitative of, okay, if we got rid of this event, how many people commented on social media in the community that said, hey, where did this event go? I want this one back. Okay. And then I would watch that to be like, hey, I've gotten a lot of messages or suggestions from people that they want to see this event back. Let's bring that one back. But then it was a lot of, oh, okay, we're getting a really high turnout here. But in this one just felt good. For some of them, it's like, I think companies stray away so much from the, this just feels good. And it's like, sometimes you just have to give into that. I couldn't agree with you more. I obviously work in more of a performance marketing capacity where everything we do is, is numbers driven. And sometimes I think you you find yourself too far gone from just using your intuition. And like you said before, you did the events because they were needed. You didn't need any data to tell you, hey, we got to do this because retention's dropping or something like that, or because X, Y, or Z. It's, we're in a global pandemic. We need to continue to provide a community service for a population that really needs it and that this really creates a safe space for. So I think that's really just amazing. Everything you guys have done is really fantastic. We've touched a lot on community. Is there anything that I've missed? We've talked about things like events, how you go about messaging to consumers within your community. Is there anything else that's really important for you in this role that we haven't touched on? I would say probably the storytelling capacity that's available within the community. This is kind of one of those things where it makes it highly important that your community manager is able to have a successful pulse on what the community is doing, but also that the rest of the team is aware of what the community is doing and what's needed. Community can fit in so many spaces, but when it fits under like a growth marketing lens, there's a lot of information that can come from the community to help. Like recently, we just did like a sex and gender survey and got our community to respond. And that created graphics that we were able to put out and use for PR and kind of like utilize it for growth, which is awesome because we just put it out to the resources that we genuinely have and ask them about their experiences. Or like I said, we regularly have, we met on her couples that are featured. I get these in organically. Like I post the story and then post a link and they send in the story of what it is. And so that's running content. That's also us connecting to those people in real time, like we can go and say, hey, we just 
got this sponsor deal in and they're looking for three couples and we think you all would be great. We have that contact information to go talk to them and then do more. And that holds on to content that we can continue to use in ads, that we can continue to use to tell stories, to continue to sell to sponsors and things like that. There is so much that if you utilize the people that you have using your product, then it makes life a lot easier and it makes your story way more genuine and provides that growth for the community and for your product as well. A hundred percent. And I think this gets back to one of my initial questions and it really hits on a strong point. I don't think you would get that same level of involvement from couples in the app on something like Hinge. Hinge we've identified as any dating app. They're more transactional. You use it, you leave it. Yours provides, one could argue, more of a lifestyle service for its users. And as a result, it sounds like you get that higher level of engagement where you reach out and you say, hey, we need three couples to contribute photos. It's probably in the blink of an eye that you get it because everyone is so engaged in her as more than a transactional app. Is that at all accurate? Yeah, that's absolutely accurate. Even the people who willingly write in before we even go out to request for anything is always constant and consistent from our community. They're just like, we're so grateful to her. We love what you're doing. Thank you. And they've seen all of the other aspects of the app. Even if they don't use it anymore, there are so many avenues that they can engage with us, even if it's not in some couples are just fully not comfortable with having their partner on a dating app anyway. So it's like, all right, cool. Like that is what we do. Even though we have this other side, respect you and your relationship, come to our social media then check out what we're doing, see what's happening. And there's so much accessibility that we're providing. But also because we are still a startup and such a small company, we pride ourselves in being faces. And like, if people go on to events, they know my face. They know who I am. They know what my job is. They found my email. They've talked to me sometimes too much, but they're there. And same for our global events manager, same for our CEO. Sometimes you don't know who the CEO is. And if they do, it's on this really high pedestal that you can never reach. And it's almost like celebrity level where we're very accessible. It's like we are all under some sort of LGBTQ plus umbrella, like majority of our team identifies somewhere on the rainbow spectrum as well. And so that's like, you're building this product for your community and we want to connect with you in that way. So we're giving that person personality, I guess. Yeah, that's what we're doing. So that kind of brings a difference where it's, I don't know who works at Hinge. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know who the CEO is, but everybody knows who our CEO is. Everybody knows who's running this event. Everybody knows who their city event manager is and who to call if there's going to be a party or what's happening in their area when we're able to be back in public. And yeah, it's like, there that is your touch point and that's what we want to be for our community i have to ask because again i look at the title of the app it says dating in it in the app store for example have you guys ever considered taking that out because it's obviously a lot more than that and maybe this comes just because my perspective of this is different my perspective of dating is different perhaps but i'm curious if that's ever been a consideration of yours because this is very much so a lot broader and it provides a ton more, again, like lifestyle services for its consumers. So I'm curious if you ever consider taking that out. Yeah, it's definitely been a thought, but SEO land can't really do that because then we would lose a ton of our traffic. I appreciate the very honest answer. <laughs> <laughs> We've thought about it, but we need people to download the app. Yeah, it's one of those things where like, we even just keep, like we've expanded so much to where the app used to be a lot of like lesbian, bisexual, women focused. But we've always had trans folks on the app. We've always had non-binary folks on the app. But us putting lesbian in the title, SEO, that catches it. That's what we get most of our downloads from. If we put dating in it, 
SEO. That's what puts us to the top of the charts. If we take some of those top things away, which is really frustrating because then when people are like, my identity fits this and you all say this, but then this here says this. And we're just like, this is why we hate business type things because we have to pan to this, but then get our community to believe that this is a space for them but we have to make sure that you find it. And so that's the hard part about like the app store and the Google Play store and any sort of ad stuff that we're driving. It's like, man, we have to be so specific about how we word it, but it sucks because then it almost changes the narrative of I've heard about this really inclusive app, but then I go on here and I just see big lesbian, but I am a non-binary person. And it's just, all right, we understand. And it's frustrating for us too, but that's kind of what we have to do to play the game in the system and make sure that we stay relevant. Plus, most of our users do majority still use the app for dating. Like our traffic highly goes into that space much more. And when we're able to shift from that, then we might. But currently, that is our honest truth of why we have to stay in that area. (laughs) I was laughing. You gave me a very straightforward answer there. That's wonderful. Okay, last question. We talked a lot about events. And you mentioned there's all types of events. I'm curious, what is your top selling event, like the most attended event that you guys run? Ooh, Anything that is specifically around how to be better at dating. Ooh. So we just recently had like this queer dating series. It was a four part one and it kind of went from like, how do you even have a conversation? How do you do this? To, and then it ended with like a live dating session. Like it was like the person who was hosting it had some people send in their profile. She chose one and then had a live date on with like hundreds of people watching this date and like live commentate it was like a reality tv show improved and so we had that and then previously we had a queer sex therapist on and so she was able to answer questions around like sex and dating and relationships and communication and things like that so anything that's around like being a better dater being better in relationships that's what our community is looking for is dating and love and how to do it and those were the best attended ones amazing Shana, thank you so much. Like I said, I saw you speak. I thought it was fantastic. I was so happy to have you on. When your name popped into my, I look at my calendar, I'm like, oh, who's the podcast this week? And when yours was there, I was incredibly excited. So very, very genuinely grateful to have had you on today. I genuinely learned a lot. Basically, everything you said was something I didn't know before, which is the best outcome I could have out of a podcast. Well, perfect. (laughs) But for those listening, today's guest was Shana Summers, who's the head of community at her Shana, thank you so very much. Yeah, thank you, Tommy. Thanks for taking a break with us and listening to our weekly episode of Activate by Remerge. If you enjoyed what you heard, leave us a five-star review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. The more people you tell, the further we can spread these awesome mobile marketing insights. See you next week.